From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. Hey, J.R., last week, DPI superintendent and Democratic gubernatorial candidate Tony Evers delivered his annual State of Education address. He slammed his opponent, Governor Walker, saying his education priorities are out of whack and that his policies are failing us. So did this read like a campaign speech, and have Evers's past addresses been this critical of the governor? Well, everything that's happening right now, you have to look at it in a political context. I mean, even if you look at uh, the budget request that the Department of Public Instruction submitted last week under Evers' direction sought a $1.4 billion increase in state money for schools. And in his cover letter, you know, Tony Evers bemoaned the direction of public education in Wisconsin, that there's, in his words, less money being spent now than there was eight years ago, which is a direct dig at Governor Walker, referring to things on a, uh, if you take inflation into account. So yeah, his vision, the things that he laid out in that speech were all about what's happening um, in the next five weeks, six weeks. And, and, you know, I can't say talk about every speech he's given about how political it's been, but this is definitely one that is in a more political environment than we typically get from Tony Evers. At the same time, Governor Walker released a new ad that basically warns voters that Evers will increase taxes and take the state backward if elected. Evers responded by saying he's open to raising a variety of taxes. So what do you think of this strategy? He's kind of owning it. And how do you think that will resonate with voters? That's a good question. And Governor Walker and Republicans are trying to pounce on that to raise questions about what Tony Evers would do. Um, the cost say he'd be unaffordable for Wisconsin, things like that. And what's going on is Governor Walker's numbers, depending regardless what poll you look at, he's been upside down with independents. Um, he just has not done well with them this kind of fall. And he's trying to find a way to improve his standing with them or to tear Tony Evers down. And one way to do that, they, they went after Tony Evers about this Middleton teacher who viewed porn at school, didn't lose his license. They ran an ad talking about how Evers wanted to raise violent offenders, and now it's about the tax argument. They're trying to kind of make Tony Evers unacceptable. The problem for Walker and company is that, look at last week's Marquette University Law School poll, um, Evers' numbers didn't get worse from the August poll, even amid this onslaught of TV. In fact, they kind of got slightly better. Now, I got better within a very small bump in a, within the margin of error, but they're not getting worse. So what will work? I mean, that's the big question is, what can Walker find that would work on Evers? And two, it, are, are people just kind of fatigued about Scott Walker that no matter what they throw at Tony Evers, it's not going to move people? Well, speaking of the Marquette poll that came out last week, it does show Tony Evers leading Walker by five points, along with Democratic Senator Tammy Baldwin opening up an 11-point lead over her Republican challenger, Leah Vukmir. In the August poll, both contests were dead even. What do you make of these results, and does it surprise you that the narrow leads are starting to widen? Well, you know, one thing you have to look at is that the the sample, the people who are surveyed in that uh, poll, are more Democratic than they were in the August survey. So that probably had something to do with it. Um, that said, you know, Evers has now got a lead on Walker in every 
pretty much every poll that we've seen for the last uh, month has either had it even or, or Evers up slightly. I don't remember the last time I saw a, Scott, a poll of Scott Walker up on Evers outside the margin for error. So you got that going on. Uh, and the Senate race is interesting is that last month when that Marquette poll found you know, only a two-point gap, there was a, an argument that you know, Vukmer could go out now and kind of pitch this poll to national people and say, hey, there's a real race here in Wisconsin. Come invest in the state. You guys should be playing here. And the, the warning I got in August from people was if the next Marquette poll comes back and Baldwin has a double-digit lead, that's going to pretty much undercut that argument. And here we have one with 11-point lead, and so it's going to make it harder for Leah Vukmer to make that pitch nationally of there's a real race here. Then you look at the map nationally, and there are just a lot, money, a lot more states on the list of places to go spend money ahead of Wisconsin is making the pitch for Vukmer harder of coming here to, to play because Republicans see other states as better bets right now for a pickup or a better bet to go spend the money to defend a seat that they now have. After the poll came out, Vukmir's opponent in the Republican primary, Kevin Nicholson, appealed to his supporters. He said in an email that it's crucial for Republicans to unite behind Vukmir to defeat Tammy Baldwin. How much of a shot in the arm does Nicholson's urging uh, give to the Vukmir campaign? We'll see. Um, I think if I look at the poll correctly, like 87% of Republicans were backing Vukmir, whereas 94% of Democrats were backing Tammy Baldwin. You could have a situation where some Nicholson supporters are kind of slow to embrace Vukmir post-primary. It also could be that people just aren't that familiar with Vukmir yet, because remember, she didn't have that robust of a TV campaign in the primary, and still hasn't had one yet, so it could just be a familiarity issue. So she's got some work to do. Now, the caveat to all this is it's a poll. It's a snapshot in time, and two years ago, you know, Russ Feingold was up on Ron Johnson, the Marquette poll, by six points. Johnson won. Um, two years ago, Hillary Clinton had a lead on Donald Trump. Donald Trump won. So there's still a lot of time to change this. But we're also seeing, in the numbers in the poll, the possibility of a wave building. Now, it's a possibility, and I want to you know, stress that. There's no guarantee yet. But there are things like the gender gap, the enthusiasm gap, the leads Democrats have that suggest that right now Democrats are in good shape. The question is, can they maintain that between now and November? In another race we've been following, the Marquette poll shows Republican Attorney General Brad Schimmel with a seven-point lead over Democratic challenger Josh Call. Any surprises there? Well, in some ways, no, because Brad Schimmel has been in office for more than three years. He's released a TV ad. The Republican Attorney, Attorney's General Association is in a TV ad forum. And we haven't seen really anything from Josh Call on paid media yet. So that's probably helping Schimmel. The same time, you know, this poll is showing that if there's a wave, it's not enough for Josh Call. He's got to get out there, get his name out there through paid media, you know, being up in the air and TV and radio, having other groups help him. He needs that boost because you're seeing Brad Schimmel, you know, whereas Vukmir and, and Walker, like in those low 40s, Schimmel's at 48. So there's a train of thought that, you know, voters in general maybe like a Republican better for a law enforcement position like this one. That might be helping him. Having the early advantage on the ads side might be helping him. So we'll see. You know, the big challenge for Schimmel is going to be, can he carve out a unique identity other than the generic Republican ballot? Because if it's a bad night for Republicans in November, um, it could be a bad night for Brad Schimmel. He needs to have, you know, 
an impression with voters beyond just he's a Republican if he's going to survive a potential Democratic wave. Another major development last week, a gunman opened fire at a software company in Middleton, resulting in three serious injuries. This prompted the issue of gun control to enter the conversation. At a news conference the following day, Democratic Senator Tammy Baldwin reiterated that she supports universal background checks and a ban on rapid-fire devices such as bump stocks. So that's where Tammy Baldwin stands. Do you think her opponent, Leah Vukmir, will be pressed to weigh in on the gun issue, especially because this has hit close to home in Wisconsin? Possibly, but what's been interesting is that issue hasn't been nearly as prominent in this race as health care. It's honestly one of the biggest issues that we're seeing nationally. Uh, it's been interesting to watch that to develop because for the last hmm, eight years, it seems like Democrats have been on the defensive about health care because of the Affordable Care Act, you know, i.e. Obamacare. But Democrats right now feel like they have the upper hand on that issue, that things are going more their way, and they're pushing it. I mean, Tammy Baldwin sent Leah Vukmir on coverage for those or protections for those with pre-existing conditions. She had a TV ad that knocked Vukmir for a vote when she was in the state assembly uh, that opposed a bill requiring insurance companies to treat oral chemotherapy the same as it does intravenous treatments. So that's really been a much more prominent role than anything like Second Amendment rights has in this race. And finally, it was a bad week for Democratic First District congressional candidate Randy Bryce. An outside group started running an ad that's critical of him. The interesting thing about this ad is Bryce's brother is doing the criticizing. James Bryce is a Milwaukee police sergeant, and in the ad, he takes a swipe at his brother Randy for espousing, quote, cop-hating rhetoric, and to add insult to injury, he pledges his support for Bryce's opponent, Republican Brian Stile. The ad also highlights Bryce's nine arrests over the years and shows his mugshot and a photo of him in handcuffs in handcuffs. So all this rolled into one ad. Do you think this ad will be effective and make a difference with voters? Well, we knew that there were going to be attacks on Randy Bryce because he's got baggage. The nine arrests, um, other legal troubles like falling behind on child support, we knew they were going to come. So this is not a shock. And we probably should have known that they were Republicans find a way to use James Bryce in an ad because he actually contemplated for a while running against his brother as a Republican because they are not on the same page politically. Um, what's interesting is that in talking to people about the, the ad with the family, it is sometimes a little bit uh, kind of uncomfortable for people to see such a, a personal family feud play out like this on the TV waves. So the question will be, is it effective to voters? Do they feel like it's a bridge too far? Or do they think, hey, if that guy's brother won't support him, why should I? Um, I would expect to see more of these hits on Bryce going forward about the arrests, because this is a Republican-leaning district. Um, President Trump won it by 10 points in 2016. At the same time, you know, the fact that the Congressional Leadership Fund, which is associated with the House GOP leadership team, is spending $1.5 million, I think is the, on the TV buy there, tells you that they feel like they have to defend that seat in this environment. So that's something to keep an eye on. That's WISPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.